Hey, you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a Catholic podcast that explores topics within the Catholic faith to help us deepen our spiritual lives, own our relationship with the Lord, and strengthen His church. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Rochelle Lucero, and I am the host and creator of the Clumsy Theosis podcast, the podcast that you are currently listening to. And I hope that you have a good time today because I know I'm about to have a great time with today's topic. But before I get into it, I do want to give a special shout out to Hosiah. I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Hosiah is the most recent donor to the Clumsy Theosis ministry. I am very thankful for anyone who has donated. Um, If you have been touched by this ministry, this podcast, if it has at all helped your spiritual life, your faith life, or your understanding of the church, please consider making a donation. A little pop quiz before we jump in. Can you tell me what is the central mystery of the Christian faith? The central mystery of the Christian faith. It's the Trinity. We invoke the Trinity before and after we pray every day, every time that we pray. And me, as a Byzantine Catholic, us Byzantines, we invoke the Trinity. I could not even count how many times we invoke the Trinity during our liturgy and during our prayers. Sometimes I think that from an outsider's perspective, if they were to watch us, it seems like we're standing in a room full of flies and we're just sitting there swatting them away from our faces throughout the whole liturgy because all we do is say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then we make the sign of the cross and bless ourselves every single time. But because it's so common in my life, and I'm sure in everyone else's, um, right, you guys are invoking the Trinity every day, at least once a day, right? Because the Trinity is so common in our faith, I think we we take it for granted. And I'm not even going to front because I know that I'm guilty of this. I thought it would be cool for us to increase our awareness of the Trinity and therefore our appreciation for the Blessed Trinity. In order to do that, I wanted to go over some of the major Trinitarian heresies that the church had to fight against many years ago in her infancy in order for her to maintain and preserve this central truth, the truth of the Trinity, that had been revealed to man by God. Now, this type of material is a little different from what we typically cover here on Clumsy Theosis. Well, no, I I take that back. It may seem like it's different, and it may appear to be more academic, and therefore you might think that it's not essential for the everyday Catholic. Like, it's just some extra trivia to know if you're a theology nerd, like myself and probably a number of you out there listening to Clumsy Theosis. But no, that is the wrong answer across the board. Everyone who professes Christ should know these heresies. They should know the heresies about the Trinity. And I don't know about you, but if someone tells me that, I want to know why. Why do you think I should know this? Why should I be interested in something like this? I want to know why. And I think a big reason as to why I like to know is partially because it helps me to situate my mind so that I'm prepared to receive the information in the proper context so that it will benefit me the most you know, the way that this person who's trying to persuade me thinks it will benefit me. So I was talking to my husband and I was asking him to give me some incentives as to why someone would want to know about the Trinitarian heresies. And so I asked him, why do you want to learn about the Trinitarian heresies? And he was like, well, I just want to learn about them because I'm Catholic. 
and I should know them. And then there were crickets because he put me to shame. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. And he's totally right, right? As Catholics, this is our history. We are part of the Catholic family, and it's important for us to first, first we need to know how the church comes to the point of making these definitions about the tenets of our faith. These definitions, they define, (laughs) they define what we believe as Catholics. And so we need to know how the church gets to the point to where she decides that she needs to sit down and write out a definition for what we believe about certain things of the faith. Our definitions that pertain to matters of the faith, they usually almost always come as a response to some sort of wrong belief, some error, some heresy that's out in the world that is confusing Catholics or leading Catholics astray. Not knowing how we come to the point of making the divine pronouncements of the faith can kind of lead us just being wrong and just sometimes even looking stupid. Like a a good friend of mine reminded me that recently in the news, it was reported that 70% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence. Have you guys heard this? I mean, I knew it was a lot, but 70% is like a lot, a lot. But someone defending this was like, well, yeah, I mean, the, the real presence wasn't defined until the 1200s or, you know, something along those lines. His argument was that the church didn't believe in the real presence until it was defined. And it was like, dude, you just don't know what you're talking about and you're making yourself look really dumb right now. So we don't want to be like that guy, right? Don't be that guy. When we define something, that's not when we start believing something. We're, divine, we're, we're, divining, we're defining something that we have known from the beginning of the faith that God has revealed to us and it is present in our deposit of faith, which he has given to us, But now there is a reason for us to define it. And that's always, almost always, to help the Catholic Church to understand the truth because there's currently an error out there that is trying to persuade them to believe something false. So knowing all of this will also keep us um, from being led astray into any sort of false religions. And it's also very true that if we don't know our history, we are bound to repeat it. So I think that's a pretty good reason. But I'm going to come back to the the me-centered reasons. These were the ones that came to my mind first. I chose three um, because I think three is an appropriate number for this topic. The mystery of the Trinity was revealed to us by God. And a mystery, in the strict sense, according to the church, a mystery is hidden in God, and therefore it's something that we can never know unless he actually reveals it to us. And if God wanted to share his inner life with us, which we know that he does because we know about theosis, right, listeners, right? We know about theosis. We know God wants to share his inner life with us. We can't know that unless he reveals that to us. We can't figure that out on our own. Those of you who have been following Clumsy Theosis for a while now, you have heard me say this more than once, that theosis is all about being transformed to the glory of God, which draws us up into the inner works, into the inner workings, the inner life of the Trinity. And so here, here's my thought. If God reveals this mystery to us, it's pretty important. And it's also a precious gift to us. Anything that he wants to reveal to us that we couldn't know just by our common reason That's a very big gift, hence our invitation to theosis, sharing in his inner inner life. This is a very big gift. And if we are going to 
even desire to enter into a life of theosis. It's just in our nature to want to know what it is. What are we what are we being called into? And he wants us to see and to desire it and to understand to the best of our abilities as human, because we're never going to fully understand the inner working of the Trinity. Let's just make that really clear right now. He wants us to desire that. And so he shows us, he, he explains that to us through scripture and through, to, and through tradition so that we may want it and decide to answer that call and live out that life of theosis. My second reason was relationship. There are three persons in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these are not just words that we say when we make the sign of the cross. We are all called to have relationships with each member of the Trinity, all three of them, not just one of them, not two of them, but all three of them. So yeah, it's kind of important for us to know each person and to get to know them so that we don't mix them up or misunderstand them. And also on the topic of relationship, God is a communion of persons. All of those persons are in relationship with each other. Their communion with each other should affect our worldview, right? Knowing that God is a communion of persons and knowing about their inner life, that should impact the way that we live our lives in communion with one another, especially in our vocations. And on the topic of vocations, this brings me to my third reason my sacraments. And yes, I call them my sacraments because I love them. They are mine and I love them because I understand them, right? I have been baptized, confirmed, or chrismated. I've received the Eucharist and reconciliation and the anointing of the sick, and I've also been married. How am I supposed to comprehend what happens to me during all of these sacraments, how how I'm being transformed, how am I supposed to understand that transformative process or what I'm being even transformed into without knowledge of the Trinity? I can't, I can't know that without knowledge of the Trinity. All of these sacraments use the Trinitarian formula, meaning that all of the prayers require the Trinity to be invoked in order to bring about or to complete that sacrament. Bam, right there. The Trinity is everywhere. From creation to the cross, we have to know about and know personally the Trinity. If you cannot tell by now, I'm super excited about this topic. And raise your hand if you are out there and you are just as excited as I am to tackle these Trinitarian heresies. And if you're excited, there is someone that you know who would just eat these up. So now is the time for you to push pause really quickly and text that person that you're thinking about. Text them the info for finding and listening to this episode so that you guys can now talk about it, be about it, and learn about it together. Before we do anything else, I think it's important to define a heresy. You know, before we actually start talking about different heresies, we need to know what a heresy is. And partly because some people just don't know or Sometimes we just don't really fully understand or we joke about things being heretical or being heresies, but they're pretty serious. And so I think we should just all be on the same page. Now, a heresy is an obstinate post-baptismal denial of dogmas of divine and Catholic faith. Okay, obstinate post-baptismal denial of dogmas of divine and Catholic faith. Basically, a baptized Catholic who obstinately refuses to believe a dogma of the church. And we've covered dogmas not too long ago in the episode, Dogmas and Doctrines. What's the big deal? If you need a refresher, go back and listen to that episode. Now, recall that a dogma is a truth that God has revealed to us. And for that reason, they are considered to be divinely revealed. 
dogmas are part of what we call the deposit of faith, and the deposit of faith is both scripture and tradition. Tradition is both written and oral. So scripture is obviously written tradition. Tradition in the oral sense are oral teachings that have been passed down since the apostles. God has deposited the truths of the faith in these two places during his period of public revelation. That period of public revelation ended with the death of the last apostle, who was John the Evangelist. So everything before that is the period of public revelation. And so if you need more, if you need a refresher, if you don't remember this, or if you just skip that episode because you were like, mm, not, not sounding interesting, I'm sure right now you're probably regretting that choice and you want to go back and listen. So do it. You will thank yourself. So examples of dogmas, the Trinity, God is three persons, but one God, the nature of Jesus. This is also a dogma that says that Jesus is both fully God and fully man, and both of which we are going to cover in the upcoming weeks. And you might be like, wait, wait a minute, what? I thought we were just talking about Trinitarian heresies. So I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know what? The heresies about Jesus, those are categorized as Christological heresies, they pertain to the Trinity also. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity, and well, if we don't grasp Jesus, then we don't understand the second person of the Trinity. Am I wrong? I don't think so. So I've outlined the heresies that we'll cover by century. Sometimes, not sometimes, most every time I've ever read anything about heresies, they always split them up into two categories, Trinitarian heresies and Christological heresies. And I like to see things as they unfold. So we will be traveling through history together, watching the church grapple with the truths revealed by God regarding the triune God and Jesus's human and his divine nature. As we go through this, you're going to notice that during the first four centuries, there were a few members of the church who were struggling with understanding the Trinity. Now, these Christians who were struggling, they tried to create definitions of the Trinity to help them better understand and help other people to better understand the Trinity. However, their definitions did not jive with the deposit of faith. And so, sorry for them, but they're considered heretical. So the bishops at that time had to gather together in councils and synods, and they had to talk about these problems. Because it is a problem if you have some people out there who are outspoken, who are teaching things that are wrong and false and are confusing the faithful or just leading them astray. These guys were like, all right, okay, we need to concisely put down what we know what we know has been revealed to us by God through the deposit of faith about the Trinity. And so now we know when we're talking about the Trinity that there is one God, yet there's three persons, all equal, all divine, all eternal. We know that there is God the Father who begets the Son and a Son who reveals the Father, both of whom are revealed by the Holy Spirit who proceeds from both of them. Now, there's no way that you could make that up, right? That has to be divinely revealed. And it's after the fourth century that the majority of the opponents of the Trinity are put to bed. The majority of the confusion about Jesus's nature then becomes center stage after the fourth century. We know, thanks to all of these heresies and us having to get together and take the time to be like, all right, what do we know about Jesus's nature? And we know this. We know that Jesus is fully human and fully divine. He's true God and true man, as we profess in the creed at mass or at liturgy. And because he is truly man, he has a human intellect and a will, which is perfectly attuned and subject to his divine intellect and divine will. Both his divine intellect and will are in common with the Father and the Holy Spirit. This is intense. Yes, our understanding of 
the Trinity as well as Christ's nature. It's intense, yes, but we will tease this out in weeks to come. And it was intense in the early church as well. And initially, there were some big mouths out there who had trouble grappling with Jesus's divinity. But again, once everyone who was in error had been corrected and all seemed to be on board, wouldn't you know it that then Jesus's humanity was then called into question. Now, getting either of these wrong negates the truth and the efficacy of Jesus's death on the cross. And let me tell you, that is a pretty big boo-boo right there. So after many centuries and councils, we have divine, we have divined, we have defined the truth based off of what has already been revealed to us by God in the deposit of faith. As we go through these next couple of weeks and these heresies, we'll see how these incorrect beliefs also build on each other. I think I mentioned that a little bit earlier, you know, how it might seem like that heresy was squashed, but then you'll kind of see traces of it in later heresies. Also, we'll see how a correction to a heresy can sometimes be an overcorrection to the point in which it becomes a heresy itself. I'm super excited. If you cannot tell, I find them all fascinating, and I think you will too. So we'll start digging into these during our next episode, but I just wanted to lay some groundwork and give you guys the overview, like a large overview of, and just put everything into context before we jump into those specific heresies. And also, I wanted to kind of give you guys like homework. I don't really like that term, but I can't think of anything else. I want you to pay attention during liturgy, during mass, and you know, during the prayers of the priest, as well as the responses of the congregation at to how many times the Trinity is invoked and in what context. Because I think once you, you realize like how central the Trinity is, once we actually start talking about the heresies and um, how they were refuted, I think that it, it, it will give you an even deeper appreciation. I believe that there is an urgency for the church, as in us, the church, to know our history, and it can help us to preach the gospel as well as to live the gospel. And I also think that this trip down memory lane of our church, of our family history, is more enjoyable, just like any trip, when we take it with friends. So invite a friend or two right now. If you have not pulled out your phone and text anybody, right now is the time to do it, really, honestly, right now. And make sure that you have someone to make this journey with you for the next couple of weeks. Text them right now. Give them the info for this episode so that they can also get the big overview and they can hopefully get excited about this. And you can make this a thing, guys. Like, make this something that you spend time doing with your friends or with your family, learning about the history of the family Catholica. And I remember when I was learning these heresies during grad school, I noticed that I became more mindful of the Trinity in my prayer life in a very practical sense. I noticed that I didn't have an equally developed relationship with each member of the Trinity because I didn't I didn't understand each member equally, uh, nor did I appreciate the salvation that was won for me on the cross. And knowing these heresies remedied all of that for me. And so I hope that this will do the same thing for you. And I think that it will. You guys have been great in my imagination anyways, but let's keep in touch online so that I don't have to imagine who you are. You can find me on social media at Clumsy Theosis. I love to hear your feedback, where you are in your spiritual lives, uh, questions that you have because it does help me with topic ideas in the future. Private message me, comment, like, subscribe, all that stuff. And talking about subscribing, are you subscribed to the Clumsy Theosis podcast? 
Now's the time to do that. Whatever you, whatever platform you're using right now to listen, go find the subscribe button and just hit it, tap it. it I mean, it costs you nothing. Subscribe and that way you will get notified when I have new episodes. Um, I think that's everything. Oh yeah, donations. If you like this episode or any previous episodes, please consider making a donation because this podcast, it's gonna need some financial assistance. Because I'm broke, y'all. No, not I. I mean, uh, but anyways, any donation that you can give right now, I'm accepting donations through PayPal. You can do this on clumsytheosis.net. Okay, everybody. Until our next episode, peace out. Thank you for tuning into Clumsy Theosis. I'm so happy that you've been able to hang out. If you want to learn more about Clumsy Theosis, you are more than welcome to visit my website, clumsytheosis.net. From clumsytheosis.net, you will also be able to contact me if you're interested in booking me as a speaker or if you're just feeling generous and you'd like to make a donation. Remember that together we can transform the world by letting the Lord transform us. 